This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for August 13, 2023. The title of the message is Heirs of Grace. Well, uh, similarly, uh, as in the morning, we come, we're nearing the end of Paul's letter to, to, the, to Titus, just like we are nearing the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. If you would turn with me to Titus chapter 3, uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Well, since we've already um, prayed for, for the uh, illumination of God's word, uh, then let's uh, jump right in. Here then now, the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. The heart of the gospel is centered on the nature of what it means to be saved by grace. Right? That's what uh, uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther called the idea of, of justification by faith, by grace through faith alone, the hinge upon which true religion turns. That everything turns on this idea of being saved by grace, being justified by grace, by faith apart from works. And, um, and so the, the Protestant Reformation came about because of Martin Luther's rediscovery, right? Just kind of going back to the original uh, words of, of Paul in, in the Greek New Testament, rediscovering Paul's simple doctrine of justification by grace alone, by faith apart from works. And, uh, and so we, we read this in, in Romans 3.28, for example. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Right? But if you've ever been to a, a Catholic service or you've ever kind of, if you ever grew up going to a Catholic school like I did and had to take Catholic doctrine classes, you, and when you hear them teach clearly uh, 
their perspective on the gospel, they will say that we are not justified by faith alone, but by faith and good works. And they will appeal to James. Uh, uh, surprise, surprise. And they quote John, uh, James 2.24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Right? So on the surface of things, it seems completely diametrically opposed to what Paul is saying. Right? And so the question is, do we have to read it as, as contradictory? Or do we have to harmonize it in a way that is consistent so that both are true? And I think the Protestant answer to that is the best one, and it's the one that I think makes the most sense of the whole of Scripture, not just taking one, one verse out and saying, ah, see, Joseph, Paul, James says justified by faith apart, and, and uh, uh, by works and not by faith alone. And so that's all that matters, right? Literally, the, super, the surface of things. But if you read the context of what James is saying there in chapter 2, James is trying to justify what faith is justify what true and saving faith is and, and, and what it looks like, what, what the character of it, of it is. Is it a living faith or is it a dead faith? How do you know it's a living faith? Uh, by, by the works that arise from that faith. So here's, here's how, I, you know, how I you know, struggled and kind of came to a conclusion uh, during my years in Catholic school, which is, that Paul is describing how faith saves us while James describes how faith works. That faith is the instrument of justification, right? It's the way in which we receive the righteousness imputed to us in Christ. But that same saving faith expresses itself as a living faith through good works. You know, so you so then you know that's why you can see in other parts of of Paul of James's epistle. Well, you know, you say you have faith, then show me. You know, show me your your faith, and I'll show you my faith by the good by the good works that I do. And that's exactly right, because it's one thing to say that you have faith, but it's another thing to say that that faith is a true faith, a saving faith, by the works that you do. And then to harmonize it and put it all together, to put James and Paul together, we are saved by grace alone through faith apart from works. But we're saved then for good works. We're saved by faith for good works. And Paul does this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and I think I've uh, beat this drum uh, many times is that we all we usually stop at verses eight and nine, right? It is by grace we have been saved through faith, and, and not of our doing, lest anyone should boast. But we we forget to quote verse ten, right? Uh, so that we might do the good works that have been prepared beforehand for us. And so tonight here, um, Paul. In some ways, I think Paul is. Taking Ephesians 2, 8 and 2, 8 through 10, and he's expanding it, giving it practical, uh, a practical uh, hands and, let, and feet uh, in the life of God's people. Uh, so, so that he expands on this idea that we are saved by grace, not by good works, but to do good works. And so 
So what does that mean? We're going to look at three things. Um, If we're saved by grace, not by good works, but for good works, then that means that we need to be ready to do good works because we're redeemed by grace, not by works, so that then we can devote ourselves for good works. So let me, let me just, uh, do, ready for good works, redeemed, by, for, uh, redeemed not by works, so that we can devote ourselves for good works. So first, we need to be ready for every good work. Right? This is, this is a, 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 an important part of the Christian life. Right? We're saved by grace alone through faith alone, not by works. But uh, it doesn't mean good works has no part. In, in the Christian life, in Christian growth. Uh, look at Paul's closing instructions to, Tim, to Titus here in, in, in chapter 3. He says, remind them. Right? He's, talking about, he's talking to Titus, who is going to be pastoring, just like Timothy, pastoring this church. And he says, remind them. And this is, the, this is 99, 99.1% of a pastor's job is to remind the people of God what what they already know. Reminding them of what they already know to be true. Uh, This is how how sin and unbelief, and I guess you could say spiritual slothfulness, uh, works in the the lives of God's people. It, It pushes us towards a spiritual amnesia in which we, we read God's word, we hear God's word, we're told what God's word says to us to, and how we're to live, but it's almost like we look in the mirror and then we turn to go live our lives and we forget what we look like. We forget what, what God has said to us. Um, I, I remember growing up and every once in a while, um, my grandmother would ask me, oh, so James, you know, what what did you uh, hear and what did you learn uh, in in Sunday school or what did you learn uh, in in service today and but you know uh, nine out of ten times I would say I don't remember you know and my grandmother would be like were you even paying attention and I would say yeah I, I was totally paying attention I took notes but as soon as I put 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 away the pen and paper. You know, and, and uh, you know, 30 minutes after service, I completely forgot. And I think that's a good metaphor for, for all of us with regards to the Christian life. Right? And so, so it's only natural that Paul tells Tim at Titus to remind the people of God. Right? So what do we have to be reminded of? Look at verse 1. We have to be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is a prominent theme in Paul. Right? In the gospel, we are, sa- we are saved by submitting ourselves to the lordship of Christ and all the authorities uh, under which um, uh, operate under him. And so that, means include, that includes submitting ourselves to the earthly governing authorities who are ministers of God's civil uh, justice and government. Uh, this is an echo here of Romans 13, right? Paul says to the Romans, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Then verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. For the authorities are ministers of God. And so Paul is telling Titus to remind them that they have to submit to these earthly uh, rulers. Right? Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar because you are rendering to God what belongs to God. And, this, and so if we are to submit ourselves, then that means that includes uh, submitting ourselves for obedience to their authority, to do what they tell us to do, right? Um, and I think this is, uh, it, this is a very important part of our testimony and witness, that we, we honor the legitimacy of, of, a, of governing authority, that, 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 that we recognize that they may not see it, but we know that under the greater banner of the lordship of God in the world, the government, we, though we may not agree and though they may be more or less just and, and oppressive, uh, that there is a legitimacy uh, by which we recognize and submit to. So, um, and so when we do that, we submit and we are obedient, then in, in addition to that, we have to be ready then for every good work for our neighbor and for our fellow Christians. Um, and this means taking every opportunity to grow and prepare and intentionally plan to do those good works that God calls us to do. Uh, this is, this is a, an important thing that I think we take for granted, that we think that good works rise up from us, uh, bubbles up from us uh, 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 w- without any rhyme or reason. Like, oh, you know, random acts of good works uh, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. No, the Apostle Paul says to be ready, right? To be ready. I think the picture here is like the baseball player, you know, who's on the field taking his position, and there's a batter, uh, and, uh, and he has to be ready if the ball were to come to him. Uh, this, still, this reminds me of when I coached uh, my daughter's uh, softball league when they were really young, and, and I would tell the girls, you know, all the girls, you know, the ball might come to you, the ball might come to you, and I would see half the girls just laying on the um, grass and the dirt trying to make dirt angels, or, or they would be like, you know, uh, they would be um, picking flowers off the grass, and the ball would get hit, and the ball would just go right by them, and they would just go right back to, to playing with the flowers. Um, and, and so, like, I, I think sometimes we're not ready to do good works. Uh, one of the, I think one of the, the obstacles to doing good works is we... we we spend so much time, we're so busy with our own lives that we're too busy to love our neighbor as ourselves. That if anyone were to ever ask us to help them in whatever need they may have, the first thing that would come to our, our mind is, I'm so busy I can't. And so Paul is saying to be ready. Teach them, remind them to be ready uh, because it's an important thing. 
uh, to love our, our neighbors as ourselves, the way that Jesus loved us, the way that he didn't think of himself first, but he thought of others before him and laid down his life so that they might be saved. And so we ought to do the same. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be a doormat, you know, that you have to be, you have to never think about yourself. But what it means is think of yourself less so that you can be ready to think of others. And, be, and so when somebody needs help, you're right there. You're like, sure, I can help you move this weekend. Sure, if you need money, I can uh, dip into my savings account. Uh, uh, sure, um, I can pray for you. Um, sure, I can take the time to, um, to listen to you. Whatever it might be. We also need to speak gently and lovingly to everyone around us. Look what he goes on to say in verse 2, right? To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Um, Good works includes good words, right? Uh, All of these things are... are, um, they are all uh, our the disposition and relationship, not only of our speech, but in our relationship with other people, uh, that the Christian ought to be the one who reflects Christ-likeness the most and the best and includes being peacemakers, uh, being uh, reconciling, being loving, gentle, humble, gracious, kind, compassionate, uh, to be uh, ready to forgive, to lay down and, and sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. But we can't do that if we are speaking ill of those or if we're quarreling with one another, uh, if we're constantly arguing and fighting. Um, to be gentle. You know, I think it's one thing to to uh, speak the truth uh, in love to those around us, but to do it gently. Just like Jesus, right? Jesus was, he is a uh, gentle and lowly savior and shepherd. Um, and to show perfect courtesy. And, and, um, and there I think, you know, to love your neighbor. Um, to, to not treat people differently based upon uh, ethnicity, race, socioeconomic uh, differences, uh, and, and in many ways, too, to, um, to be kind and courteous to those uh, around us, not just in the church, but outside the church. And the reason why we can do these good works right, in verse 1 and 2, is because we are no longer what we once were, but we are new creations in Christ. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, right? And this idea of foolishness is, is uh, this idea of, of being immature, unbelieving, deceived in sin, thinking that what we do and what we know and how we live is the right way rather than following God's way, the wisdom of God. 
That's what we once were, right? I mean, just think, I mean, if you've, you know, if you look back at your life and you've never made a mistake, um, maybe you haven't grown. <laughs> but if you've, if you, if you've made bad decisions, if you uh, made any progress in the Christian life and you look back at some of the choices that you've made and you just, you want to just, you just, Wonder like who the heck was I when I when I made that decision, right? Um, we have to remember what we once were in order to understand what we are now going forward. And so we can't. So we were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, right? This just reminds us of all the different ways that sin, our own pride. The internet, social media, our friends, our peer groups, our culture, how they've all fed us lies, half-truths, and we were led astray like lost sheep. And, um, And that's what we once were. And just to go back to this idea of disobedient, um, you know, I think sin, you know, I think there's, there's a, um, a psychological condition called a, a ODD, right? Opposition, um, uh, oh, I can't remember the, the, but disorder, right? Defiance disorder. Yeah, see? See, you guys know. And, and it's not just, and here's the thing, we all, we all struggle with, with spiritual ODD, that's really what sin is in our hearts. That whatever, whatever God tells us to do, we'll do the opposite. Because we don't want to be told what to do. And that's what we once were. But now, that's not what we, that's not what we are now. And so we can make that shift and that turn to, to say, oh, I, was, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was disobedient, and now I want to, to please you, Lord. And, and we were no longer disobedient and led astray, uh, and we're no longer enslaved to sin, right? Look what he says, enslaved to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Uh, there was a time when, when uh, we were completely enslaved to our sin, and we were absolutely not free to do what, what God had called us to do or what, what God commands us to do. And we see this still in our Christian life if you, if you read Romans 7. Um, and, and it's that same idea that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were completely unable to do that which God had called us to do. But that's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus came into the world, to free us. That's the whole idea of redemption, is to pay a price to free us from, from our slavery and uh, free us to live for him. And that is what we once were. And so, we, so maybe one way to think about it is Paul is telling us, he's like, do these things because this is what you are now. And don't do these things because that's what you once were. And so if we keep doing that which we once did, what we're, what we're saying is, is that we're not, 
we're not walking in the way in which God has saved us to do. Um, and the reason we can make this change from, from um, dead in our trespasses and sins to new creations in Christ is because we have been redeemed and regenerated by grace apart from works. And, um, and that's our second point here. In verse 4, Paul takes us back to the salvation that we have in the gospel. Right? We are saved because of God's incarnate love in Christ. Look at what he says there in verse 4. And, and I, I touched on this uh, a, little, er, a little bit earlier uh, in, at the end of verse 2. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, right? Whenever Paul uses the word appear, he's using it to refer to the appearance of a person, right? Not just a general thought of God's goodness and kindness, but, but God our Savior in the person of Christ appeared. And that's why one of the reasons why I love uh, those, one of the, some of the, the Christmas carols and the hymn of the Father's love begotten, right? the love of God incarnate. Um, that you might even say, God's that Christ is the incarnate goodness and loving kindness of God embodied, uh, and 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 dwelt among us. And everything He did is an expression, a, a tangible expression, a manifested life lived out, uh, demonstrating to us the, the goodness and loving kindness of God. Uh, John 1.1 1, 1 says, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus come to do as the incarnate goodness and loving kindness of God? He came and saved us. How did he save us? Not by works done by us in righteousness. Right? Verse, uh, verse 5 there. Uh, again, here what we see is that we are saved. We are not saved by works. Right? This is what it means to be saved by grace. That we're not saved by our own merit or by anything that we do or anything in us. Right? It is totally by grace as a free gift. That God gives it to us not because we deserve it, but precisely because we don't deserve it. Paul says in Romans, if we receive something by works, then it's not by grace. And if we receive something by grace, then it's not by works. And Paul continues to explain this grace in, verse, um, uh, in this verse according according to his own mercy. That's really what God's grace is. It is God's free mercy to those whom he will have mercy. He doesn't have to give anyone mercy. Right? We're not entitled to receive mercy from God. That's why Paul says in Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then in 9.16, he says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. See, that's, this, is, this is the paradox and the stumbling block of God's grace. Because if it is completely on God's 
sovereign initiative and he chooses on whom he will have mercy, then we will always fight back. We, we, we will protest because we think it's not fair. Because God should save everybody. Or at least God should give everyone the opportunity to be saved. But if God has complete and total freedom to choose whom he will choose, for us we were like, oh, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. There, we need to do something so that, that God will, uh, will come and show us mercy. No, there's nothing we can do for God to show his grace and mercy to us. It is totally, totally uh, his uh, sovereign grace and mercy, his choice. And that's the stumbling block. But at the same time, that is what frees us to realize that um, we don't deserve anything from God. But yet he gives us everything. This also, and when we apply this to our, our everyday life, it frees us. It frees us from the burden of trying to be our own saviors. Have you ever thought about that? That, that God saves us not only from our sins, but from ourselves. Trying to save ourselves. And failing over and over and over again. Realizing that we fall short, not just of God's glory, but of our own standards. We will always fail and we'll never be good enough. This is one of the things, this is what's resonating, I think, in our culture. Uh, is that this idea now that, um, that uh, we when we're trying to, to make sense of our lives and, and we realize that we're not good enough, you know, and we struggle with that. We struggle with that. We, we struggle with not being good enough or being able to live up to other people's expectations, and so we feel like failures. And friends, brothers and sisters, when you feel like you're not good enough, uh, uh, by your own standards or by anyone else's standards, or when you feel like you're a failure, what that tells you, or that, what that should tell you, is that you're trying to save yourself somehow. Because you only fail, and you only, you're, you're, you'll never be good enough because you're trying to be good enough. You only fail because you're trying to succeed in falling short. But here's the freedom of knowing God's grace as a free gift. You know you're a failure. You know you're not good enough. But God loves you anyway. How freeing is that? How freeing is that? Um, and what a wonderful way also to, to, uh, to uh, defang Satan's lies to you. Can you just imagine Satan? You'll never be good enough. You're, you're not good looking enough. You're not smart enough. You're not successful enough. You're not popular enough. Nobody likes you. And all you have to do is be like, do what Martin Luther did. You're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. But God loves me anyway. That's true freedom. Freedom from yourself. Freedom from works. That no one can save you but Jesus. And so that's what it looks like when you live it out in your own life. So 
Then we are, we move on, and then he saved us according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That is then through the work of the Holy Spirit that regenerates and and renews us and transforms us from death to life, from darkness to light, from old creation to new creation. So that the old is past and new has come. And then you see that transition then, why you can make the transition from verse 3 to verse 2 and 1. And at the heart of this blessing is the blessing of the justification that we have in Christ. So that being justified, declared righteous in God's sight by his grace, this is where by faith we receive Christ's righteousness and forgiveness because Jesus took our sin and guilt and bore our punishment and our penalty. Christ's righteousness for our unrighteousness to bring us to God, First Peter. We're not only justified by grace, right? Look at what he says there, right? We're not only justified by grace, verse 7, but by his grace we become heirs uh, according to the hope of eternal life, that we are adopted by grace. We're adopted as sons and daughters by grace. Uh, this just, just reminds you of like that there's no better picture of, of God's grace when, when a parent who has children of his own sees sad, orphaned, impoverished, needy children who need parents and his, his or her heart breaks for them so much that that parent then adopts this stranger child, a foreigner, an alien, to, to the family and says, you are my son, you are my daughter by adoption. I still remember hearing stories about uh, this family who would go, they, they went to China and they had a burden for, for, the, um, for the orphan daughters or, or the... Uh, the uh, uh, sons in China with birth defects. They're not perfect. And so they were abandoned. And just, you would see hordes and hordes of these orphan children that were abandoned by their parents because they were a girl or because they had a cleft palate. And this family had a burden for them. And they went and they went to go uh, adopt uh, two girls. But what was heartbreaking is they would go to this orphanage and there would be hundreds of children clawing at them, begging them, crying, please take me, take me, take me. And, um, and, 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 their, and this family, their hearts would break because they could only adopt two. The grace that we see here is that adoption is fully initiated only by the parent who adopts. But here's the, here's the beauty of, of adoption. You, we all were orphans without hope and without God in the world because of our sin. And unlike the, the adopting parents who could only adopt two out of the thousands, God is a perfect heavenly father who can adopt all of us. And he does adopt all of us as if we were his one and only son. 
his only, one and only child. That when he looks at us, he sees Christ, his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that we are adopted and therefore made heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And we are sons and daughters uh, of God to the hope of eternal life. This is the greatest and most powerful motivation, friends, brothers and sisters, to live the Christian life. That, um, That when God has so extravagantly shown his love for us in adopting us into his family when we don't deserve it. I mean, what, adopt, what adopting kid, you know, earns uh, an adoption, right? And that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It's the parent who shows his love in adopting the needy orphan child. And that's what God does for us. And out of that extravagant love and grace shown to us, we cannot but help. Uh, we cannot but help respond in love for Him, and to live, to want to live for Him, and to be His child. Um, I remember, and I'll end here. I remember hearing about um, this uh, this this family where they had been fostering a child and this this uh, young child you know just could never dream that this family would ever adopt her and one day the parents decided they loved this child so much they they did decide to adopt her and uh and there was this big card this big sign that said will you will you let us be your forever parents and you should have seen you should have seen the the tears of joy the tears of joy that this child had uh, because these parents decided to adopt her and the way that she responded was she the way that they that she responded was i'm gonna be i want to to be the best son and or daughter you can have. And, and that's what Paul is saying here when he, when he closes uh, his words here. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. All, good, good works is nothing more, nothing less than living as children of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you save us by grace, not by works, but you save us then for good works. Help us, Lord, to devote ourselves to doing these things because you have loved us, that you have saved us, Uh, Lord, because you sent Jesus, the goodness and loving kindness of, of, of God our Savior has appeared. Help us then to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.